Hello. Oh. <laughs> Hi, friends. Hi, friends. Welcome to Reading Minds, where ordinary people talk about extraordinary books. Today, Shannon, Susie, and I reconvene after a month-long break to talk about Fyodor Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground. Enjoy. So this month, well, I guess it's been the past two months now, we took a little bit of a hiatus for a month because all of our lives got a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, so we read Notes from Underground by Dostoevsky, and this was my pick, so... Yeah. Oh, before I get into um, a little bit of an overview and a context discussion, <laughs> let's talk about our drinks. Well, who wants to admit to what they're drinking first? <laughs> I'll, I'll go first because um, I'm drinking water. <laughs> um, well, you know, sweet Russian I really had to think about this, right? I mean, like, he's poor, he's living, like, a horrible <laughs> life, all he can afford is water. I'm just kidding. Um, in actuality, I have given up caffeine, um, and I probably could have made a, uh, I don't know, uncaffeinated tea or something. I just didn't really think about it until it was too late, so. So water. So water, yeah. Yeah, I'm also drinking water. But water is clear, and so is vodka. There you go. There we go. <laughs> I'm drinking Diet Coke because I chose to drink it. <laughs> I have freedom. Yeah, and you're on your lunch break, right? So you don't really yeah, have all the options in the world. No, I don't. I'm doing the first podcast from work. That's exciting. Yeah, and we're we're in our new home, so we're doing it in all all the new places, recording in all the new places. Yeah, I'm doing mine in my bedroom. Normally, it's out in the living room. So. <laughs> Shannon, you look too comfortable. I am. After we're done with to... this podcast, I'll probably resume my nap and take another one. <laughs> you can't be comfortable when talking about a Russian book. No one can be comfortable when talking about a Russian <laughs> Russian. Yeah. All right. Let's just jump into this book a little bit. So this book was published in 1864. And during this time, Russia was in um, kind of a unique point in history when it was becoming a world power. So there were these influences that were pulling it in two different directions. So one direction it was being pulled in was towards the West and towards modernization and um, like the secular secularism that, that the West was kind of promoting at the time. And the other direction was towards itself and their own roots. So Russia had roots in the Orthodox Church. So it was kind of this battle between different ideologies that was happening. So Russia was kind of living in this paradox which we see a lot of paradox in the book, too. So Dostoevsky was reflecting on that. And he was raised in the Orthodox Church, so he was on the Russian side of things. Um, so that helped me as I was reading the book to try to figure out like what he was trying to say based on what I knew about him. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, that's a little bit about where Russia was at the time. This is also the first, it's considered the first existentialist novel. Um, so existentialism, if you don't know, it's, it's very broad, but essentially it's just the philosophical study of the human existence. And that starts with the individual experience. So in Dostoevsky's novels, we see the main character making decisions and kind of testing boundaries in order to see what the consequences of their actions are and what that means for like the meaning of life. <laughs> um, so specifically in this novella, the unnamed narrator that is sometimes called the underground man, he views himself as the center of his world and he works through his existence um, by writing this series of letters to the reader. Um, and in him, we don't really see a lot of good things. We see, I guess, the depths of human depravity. <laughs> He's not a very likable character. Um, but at the same time, you see all of his um, underlying thought and his ideology. So he's someone you are able to sympathize with. Um, and you can kind of understand where he's coming from, even though he's kind of a horrible person. <laughs> um, the structure of this book, the first part... Um, there's not really much plot to it, which made that part, at least for me, a lot harder to get through. Um, so it kind of just spells out all of his paradoxical thinking and why he is the way he is. Um, so we see him as being overly conscious and he knows that he's wicked, but he also looks down on everyone else who he sees as being narrow-minded. And then in the second half there's actual plot. <laughs> so it went a lot faster and a lot better for me at least. Um, and in that section, we see the paradoxes put into context and into action. So there are at least two different um, subplots where there's one where he begs an old group of friends to let him go out with them, even though he really doesn't want to. So there's a lot of struggle between him wanting human connection but also hating people at the same time and he also visits a prostitute and spends time con trying to convince her how vile she is but also acknowledging her youth and innocence so there's a lot of struggle between him trying to convince himself that he's better than everybody while also you definitely see that he's not necessarily better <laughs> but you also see him longing for human companionship, but also rejecting it at the same time. So that's about as much as I want to get into because there's a lot of little things that we could talk about, but that could go on for ages. <laughs> so yeah, what, what do you think? Do you have anything else you want to add to that? Well, I feel like you did a pretty good like general overview mm -hmm. because it's, it's hard to even summarize this book, especially the beginning, because for me, at least, it was like, in a word, confusing. <laughs> and then it becomes more clear as you get to the plot part. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That is what I had to <laughs> I had to I had to start the first part, like three different occasions. And then mm. I kind of just gave up reading and listened to the podcast for the first part. Yeah. And then read the second yeah the apropos of wet snow I did not find it an easy book to get into mm -hmm. for sure yeah and I 
I like also this is a book where I feel like you need to have the internet near you or something because I find myself wanting to research yeah like the state of Russia uh Davieski like because I think that having the context while you read it is extremely helpful to try to decipher what it is because one thing the narrator does too is he's just unreliable Mm -hmm. I kind of read that term when I was reading some articles about the book it's like he's just you don't know what to think you don't even know what he thinks sometimes because yeah it's a paradox (laughs) so much of it is a paradox and it's kind of the audience deciding but not deciding because he's so strong but also very indecisive and Mm -hmm. it's an experience an experience yeah what do you think shannon um, I would probably say the same. It, I had to start listening to a podcast like Susie talked about doing at the end, except in my experience, I did that at the beginning. And I like, I normally like to listen to podcasts and books and stuff on my way to school or whatever, because I live far. But for this, like, I could not do that because a lot of things I listen to, I find I don't really have to pay, like, very close attention to. And I can kind of still get the general gist of what's going on. And it's, like, not super hard to grasp. With this, I was like, I, wait, what did he just say? Like, I don't understand what he just (laughs) said. So that, I, I just, like, couldn't do it. So I had to sit down one day and, like, I read it over an evening and then, like, the next morning. And then, like, just finished it. Because, like, I found if I only read it in chunks, I, like, couldn't remember what was going on Hmm. previously. So, yeah, I ended up going on Project Gutenberg at the end and just, like, reading it all together. Mm -hmm. And I did that during spring break when I had time. (laughs) So, yeah. I definitely do want to go back and, like, read the first part because I think I would be able to have more time to digest it Mm -hmm. instead of just listening to it because there's so many broad concepts and small concepts and it it just kind of passes you by when you're listening to it sometimes yeah so I definitely did notice that where I was like I think I just missed like a plot something important right (laughs) I definitely found myself having to drop everything and just read it or listen to it Mm -hmm. and just not have any other distractions it wasn't Mm -hmm. something I could just mindlessly figure out (laughs) and Mm -hmm. honestly like I do like the challenge Mm -hmm. I it I did like the book because it does make you very seriously think Mm -hmm. yeah if you agree with it or not if uh, about life like all the motive yeah the motivations behind people it makes you think um which makes it a denser Mm -hmm. read but do you think you would read more Dostoevsky he did read um or he did write the Brothers Karamazov and Crime and Punishment, which are I two read also Crime and very Punishment. important books. I yeah. thought you said it was a okay. different. I think Mason. Dostoevsky. Yeah, so I think Mason told me that one day, and he doesn't have ever, any memory of that. But I was just like, "Oh, mm-hmm. cool!" And then I just went with it, and then I figured out as of last night that it's the same one. <laughs> oh yeah, I almost um, want to go back and like reread this book too, in a couple months or a year or something, and like digest it more. Mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. I think I would read Crime and Punishment just because it's like so well known and like well loved and whatnot mm-hmm. and I think it would be an interesting one to read um 
I think I would also like to read different Russian authors mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. I don't really know what like a typical I think this book was probably more outside of my comfort zone in terms of the style and like what it was about yeah than what I'm used to reading so it might be mm -hmm. nice for me to like read something like Anna Karenina or something that's like a more of a story mm -hmm. something more that I'm used to so that I can just like get used to what Russian literature looks like in genres that I'm more comfortable with you know what I mean yeah I noticed I that definitely, I definitely admire it's like foundational status Russian literature where so yeah. many other yeah. books and thoughts and just entertainment movies just are founded on Russian yeah. literature and so it does make me want to you know go back and really understand yeah. it I will say that um Anna Karenina so that's my only other Russian novel that I've read um and that's Tolstoy and that book was way easier to grasp than this book <laughs> even though it's massive <laughs> and there are a lot of subtleties to it as well but it was mm -hmm. easier to get through so yeah I'm honestly not sure if I totally grasped this mm -hmm. book yet <laughs> if I'm gonna be honest yeah you know like you read it and I can research stuff behind it but at the same time I'm still not completely sure if I even got out of it what Dostoevsky mm -hmm. wanted me to get out of it right I, I think though <laughs> it's left pretty ambiguous on purpose because mm -hmm. you see the underground man man um like, you don't really know what to think of him at the end. Like, you think he's a horrible person, but I think you also very purposefully see a lot of yourself in him as well. So you see humanity in him. So you mm -hmm. leave that book not knowing if he's actually brilliant or if he's just insane. So I think that is on purpose. I did think that. I went back and forth so many times between, like, this is genius and, like, this is this crazy. This is insane. What is, what is, what is happening? Yeah. I don't know. What did you guys think of, like, the tone of the book? Because that was out of my comfort zone, too, where it's, like, even listening to the podcast or hearing it in my head, it's, like, this angry man tone. Mm -hmm. That's just, yeah, one of the things that I had a question on was, um, like, spite. Like, mm -hmm. how he uses spite throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's a very... Um, angry person it seems like um oh were you gonna say something Shannon oh I mean like I was just gonna say in terms of tone did you mean like you specify with spite I didn't know if you meant like just how he was just kind of arguing with his imaginary audience in like a philosophical kind of way or what you meant by when that. I first started talking I was talking about just the tone of the whole book and then I kind of went down a rabbit trail of spite Oh, that's what just happened. <laughs> I mean, I kind of, well, and there's like two parts to it, kind of like Annie talked about. And the first part I felt like was very philosophical. It was very like much talking about, I don't know, how all these dichotomies and like, I don't know, just how he views the world. But like then, I don't know, he kept like making these arguments about life back and forth and men's motivations and whatnot which I found like hard to follow and to grasp that's probably also because I've never taken a philosophy class in my life and I feel like maybe if I've taken taken anything like that and talked about different kinds of philosophy like 
Nietzsche or whatever, then, like, maybe I would have, like, a better grasp of how he, like, how he's talking in the first part. Because the second part I felt like was easier to follow because it was more of a story. Yeah. Um, Whereas, like, the first one was, like, first part was, like, more argumentative. So it was, like, interesting in that way. I think that also shows the importance of why we need to read books like this. Because, I mean, a lot of us haven't taken a formal philosophy class. Mm -hmm. But there's still no reason why we shouldn't be able to grasp these concepts. And, like, I didn't get all of them either. So it's... Yeah. It just shows that we should maybe be pushing ourselves to, you know, like, understand why why man is the way he is mm-hmm. and and understand other I, schools of thought as well. I did appreciate that this book wanted me to search out, like, philosophy. Mm-hmm. It wanted me to research and kind of, like, better myself because, honestly, when, like, I was reading it, I was, like, I know I've heard, like, like nihilism or, like, or, yeah, you mentioned, like, Nietzsche. Like, I know that I've heard these things mentioned. I maybe read something about it, but it makes you really want to, like, dive deep into it mm-hmm. just to, like, be, more like, a more well-rounded person, yeah, and understand other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Now, I wrote down this Nietzsche concept in my notes where that um, – I came across it's like there's a master mortality, which is people who just do what they want, and then there's a slave more sorry, morality. Morality, which is like people who feel morally superior because they don't do what they want. And that I feel like is more of the underground man where he's like, Well, I am more superior because I am making these choices mm-hmm. to do these things that go against the norm right. or what society wants me to do. Right. There's definitely an emphasis on his individual decisions and his free will and how that affects what his life looks like and what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of like how he even opens the book where it's like, my liver is bad, but I'm not going to go to a doctor. It's my choice. I'm going to be defiant. Right. So it's like existential defiance in how he looks at life. Right. What conclusions can you gather from the underground man about the meaning of life? Since, you know, this book is exploring the meaning of life. So there's got to be some things we can take from him. Um. Do you want me to answer first or do you yes. to take it? Okay. <laughs> so I think that, so we've talked about how this book is purposefully ambiguous about a lot of the big picture ideas, allowing for us to decide for ourselves whether he's right or wrong. Um, so I think it's a little more introspective than it is big picture. Um, and we can look at him and see ourselves agreeing with some of the things that he thinks but at the same time, we don't want to agree with him because he's kind of a horrible person. So I think, at least for me, the biggest thing I picked up from this book was how it reflects my own, like, wickedness or the wickedness of humanity. So that's what I got. (laughs) Yeah, when I was thinking about your question, it was I was trying to come up with some, like... Happy outcome. <laughs> Good I luck. Really think of one. I don't think that's really the point of mm-hmm. the book at all. You know, they talk about happiness and how it relates to freedom and how it relates to the meaning of life and how you're not really, I guess, supposed mm-hmm. to be happy. Yeah, but that's kind of what I got from it too. Where it was almost uh, analysis of how not to think in certain parts of the book, or I don't know. I just feel like he perverted a lot of things, like human contact and kindness and love mm-hmm, yeah. 
and I I get like actually I don't get what Dovieski was doing but I understand that something was going on um no so I kind of got along the lines of what you did Annie where it's like the meaning of life or the overarching theme yeah it's like the depravity of man like how we can think um where our thoughts can go how you can just be judgmental or feel superior or inferior and like categorize and just kind of yeah and I think you make an interesting point with talking about perverting different ideas and thoughts and I think it honestly points a little more towards like the uselessness of things too so it's not so much I mean yeah he perverts things but it, it also doesn't matter like we don't see that really mattering at all in the book like he tries to do these little tests of boundaries and like there's that story about him um coming across the same man on the path each day and he's always the one to get Mm us to move aside for the man to pass by and he it keeps him up at night and he's thinking about well maybe this time I'm just not going to do it and then when he decides to not let the guy through it doesn't matter like he still gets around and it's a (laughs) non-issue so it's just it's utterly useless (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. uh I would probably third what you guys have said I also kind of got from this book that he values like self and self-preservation um so I guess like he finds his meaning in life of thought like focusing on himself and what other people have done to harm him and like how he's superior in different ways because he hasn't done certain things I don't know you kind of already listed like a lot of examples that I probably would have talked about too but just um yeah I just kind of got that from the book that he garnered a lot of meaning from just like himself and Mm -hmm. wasn't really willing to like do what it took to be a friend to anyone else just kind of wanted friends Mm -hmm. for his own selfish reasons and gains he kind of wanted the girl like the prostitute to be his for own selfish reasons and gains like And that just kind of reflects on humanity as a whole that, you know, we're selfish and that ultimately, like, we have to be careful of not wanting our priority in our life to be about us because that's not, like, what life should be about. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of got that. Yeah. He got so much joy, Mm -hmm. I guess, from having power, but also not because then he lost it. It's like he felt strong emotions towards, you know, Liza and the prostitute situation because he's like oh like I can control I can elicit emotion Mm -hmm. from her and that gives me power yeah Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you bring up Liza the prostitute um so throughout the story um another one of the big things that Dostoevsky was trying to do was to present a Christ figure and I was reading this whole story trying to figure out like how this guy like how the underground man is a Christ figure and I'm I realize or I could be wrong about this but I kind of shifted yeah I kind of shifted my thinking and decided that Lisa is supposed to be the Christ figure because she is the only one who shows him kindness and love after she understands kind of how he's thinking and where he's coming from and I think that's very interesting because there's a conversation where after the narrator gives her his address and tells her to come and see him. He has this whole story wrapped up in his head about how he is her savior and how he saved her from, you know, all the horrible things that she's going through. 
Whereas when she shows up, she tries to give him some sympathy and understanding and he just throws it in her face. So, yeah. So did you, I don't know if that's really even a question. It's just an aside. <laughs> but yeah. Um, we can talk about my question. Yeah. So to set it up, like, do you think it's kind of like two questions in one, but you can answer it in one. <laughs> um, so, do you think that the underground man ever would have, could have been happy, or was he set up to only think negatively and, like, bring out the worst in every possible situation he was involved with? And my ultimate question from that is, like, does he have any redeeming value? Was there anything redeeming about his character at all in this book? Who should go first? <laughs> I mean, I can start. Um... I don't, I just don't, he didn't want to be happy. Okay. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like there's also a lot of, like, philosophical reasoning behind that. Whereas, you know, like, they were talking about how you suffering is just as good as joy. And, like, you almost get more out of pain. And that there's power in negative choices. <laughs> there's power in making yourself unhappy. Um, and... You know, how it's, like, it's pure, like, felicity to choose unhappiness because you're not being predictable. I think he just, he feared, you know, being predictable, having, being the person that he wants to be and that, like, and that, like, unhappiness also goes with, like, true freedom. I think that's a very not well-explained way Mm -hmm. of some concept in the book, um, it was just really hard for me to come up with, like, a redeeming quality. <laughs> I don't know. Um, did you find one? So, I kind of approached this as two different questions. So, I don't really think he could ever have been happy just because of his highly conscious thinking, his hyper-conscious thinking, where he's analyzing things and almost changing his mind about people or doing things that don't quite reflect his own values. Um, but... I do think that there is a chance he could have been right (laughs) in his thinking. So it's not that he could have been happy, but I guess that could have been his redeeming value. So his hyper-consciousness either proves his insanity or it shows that he has very keen insights into human nature. Um, Then I also say, I I wrote all this down if you can't tell. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. The fact that he is underground, so to speak, shows that he is cutting himself off from society by choice and observing them as an outsider. So his redeeming value lies in him as a character and how he serves as a mirror for us. So it's not necessarily in him as a person, but it's him as an archetype, which might be cheating a little bit, but (laughs) that's what I got. (laughs) But I think it makes sense, yeah, to have him as like a almost a symbol Mm -hmm. instead of him being a person. I... uh... I agree with, like, what Susie said about how he didn't really want to be happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were several instances that he could have chosen. Like, he really wanted a friend, and he talked about that for a little bit. And then Annie brought up the fact that he basically crashed someone else's going-away party that he didn't <laughs> even like, just to be considered included. Um, and I'm just, like, sitting there thinking about that incident you know he just shows up 
when he obviously wasn't wanted because he invited himself and he wasn't good friends with this person, but he came anyway. And he could have made the most of that situation and decided, you know what, like, I'm going to turn another page. I'm going to, like, try to be nice to this person. Like, yeah, interact. interact yeah. and be nice instead of just, like, wanting to insult this person. But that's what he ended up doing was just insulting this person the whole time and then being kind of where he's been the whole time with, like, no friends and no one wanting to be with him or a part of him or anything. So, I don't know, it's just, like, you see him like wanting things and then making choices that get him further away from that mm-hmm. desire, which looks like interesting. Um, so I, yeah, I think Susie's assessment's right in saying that he, I don't really think he actually wanted to be happy because he had ways to be happy and that he, and chose, he chose to not, to. not. Yeah. But in answer to the other part of my question, I think like the one instance I thought that was kind of a redeeming value until he screwed it up, <laughs> until he screwed it up. Um, was his conversation initially with Liza in the, uh, I don't know what to call it, like, den, prostitute, I don't know, like, what they call the whorehouse, like, I don't know, a brothel, <laughs> a I don't know, I don't know what they're called there. Um, but his conversation with her, I mean, yes, he was like, hey, you're a prostitute, like, you're not really worth much, but at the same time, I felt like the things he told her about, like, how she could be different than when she was she could have a husband like she could have a family she could be so much more than she is now she could hold so much more influence than she does now like if she had a family or something I felt like that was probably something that this prostitute never heard from anyone that she's actually worth something that she could be loved and have a loving relationship back with someone and it's not just about using her for money I don't know so I thought that was really redeeming even though he ended up just kind of uh negating all of that yeah like negating (laughs) and never mind (laughs) you're horrible yeah (laughs) but at the that made me mad I was like you're so close at the time though I was like wow like maybe he's not (laughs) like maybe this is like his turning point and then it wasn't but I mean I think that might have made an impact on her at least even though like it it wasn't really impactful for him and saying it I don't know yeah and we know that it did we know that it did have an impact on her because when he turned around and said all of the negative things she had a very strong emotional reaction so I feel like that shows that she was following along and was responding (laughs) yeah I think okay as kind of a funny tangent um so that scene where he crashes the going away party that you mentioned, um, that was the moment when I realized that, like, why I was, um, like, seeing so much of myself in him is <laughs> because I realized that's basically, like, a teenage girl kind of scenario where you, like, really want all these people to invite you to the parties and stuff. And you kind of guilt them into it. And then later you're like, I don't want to go. I hate all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very, yeah, like, teenage it, thought it process. speaks to the teenage It's like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, like, nobody wants me here, but I want right, them to want but I don't want to go because I'm better than all of them. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, that was my, like, moment mm. where I realized why, why he's so relatable. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like reading this book, you can see, like, parts Mm -hmm. of yourself 
in the underground man because I mean he is he's broad and not broad. He captures a lot but captures mm-hmm. nothing. I don't know. So you can you can see some part of yourself. Mm-hmm. I thought um him beast being like constantly trying to analyze like every decision from every aspect or like not that I analyze the things that he analyzes but I kind of do that where it was like well what will they think and what will I think and what Mm -hmm. will the world think (laughs) and like that kind of stuff um about little silly things and then not being able to decide anything right there's definitely kind of a a paralysis of (laughs) since he is so hyper conscious and he's he sees himself as being more I guess I think the word he used was developed than everybody else's he just Mm -hmm found himself in a place where he couldn't make decisions, which is why I think you see him waffling back and forth so much is because he has all of these deep thoughts, but they don't allow him to move. Yeah, and he, like, envied the man of action, the person who is, you know, blessed with the ability to not think of the outcome or every angle and just does things. Yeah. Right, but at the same time, he didn't envy them. Didn't want to be him. Yeah, it was the paradox where he, like, envied them, but also thought right, himself far right. more superior than them. Right, that was, that's the whole book. <laughs> yeah. Yep, pretty much. If I, I did. could feel bad for, oh, go oh, ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, if I could feel bad for any character that he had interactions with, besides Lysa, obviously, because her story was really sad, um, it would be his servant. Because the servant, I just feel like he got the raw end of the deal here. I mean, <laughs> he's like, every, he's just like, <laughs> That one, oh man, and it cracked me up that one scene when like him and his servant just had like a, a silent stare off and like weren't talking to each other <laughs> because he didn't pay his servant and his servant was like, I'm not going to deal with this, you know, like. Yeah, like he wanted to hold the power yeah. <laughs> over him. And then the guy turns around and calls the servant a tormentor. I know. Like multiple like, times. Yeah. <laughs> And then he's, like, when Liza shows up, he's like, wait, can you, like, go get some stuff for some tea? I'm like, what? You're killing me. Could you imagine if you, like, met someone like that in real life and they really were saying their thoughts out loud around you? I don't know how I'd even deal with that. Not that he says things out loud. It's like, but, you know, if you, like. Oh, man. (sighs) I just felt bad for this guy because he was like, let me Mm -hmm. just not pay him and also not pay debts I've already, like, I already owe people just so that I can prove a point by going to this party. And like, I'm just like, what? Oh, my gosh. I know. Feel, yeah, like I, I can't just, like, felt it, bad for that I'm servant. Going. I'm like, he's got to live, too, buddy. I mean, like, he is, I mean, if he's a servant of you, he must be even lower than, like, even worse off than you because <laughs> you're not that, you're not that good <laughs> off yourself, so. Oh. That's yeah. Um, that was an aside. Let's see. I had something. Oh, yeah. So when I was like doing some post-reading research, <laughs> I came across, it was like some comments on a video or something, and they were, one guy had mentioned, oh, I see, or, oh, wow, this guy seems like he's just like me. And then there were some comments underneath that saying, like, well, if that guy's just like you, then you need some help. So I thought that was interesting that... Like, I think you're supposed to see yourself in him, obviously, but yeah. I think it's kind of ironic that just, I think it's because it's so horrible that some people don't want to see themselves in him, and that's mm-hmm. kind of 
what the underground man is talking about in the less developed people. Like they don't they don't think they're bad people, but he he knows that he's wicked. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting seeing that dichotomy play out between real life people. In real life. <laughs> so Yeah. No, it's yeah. interesting. But my well, my actual question was like, what is your take on like the underground man's elevation of Spike? Like, do you agree with it? Mm. Do you disagree with it? He talks about it a lot in, like, the first part. Or, like, he has the choice, you know, like, any thoughts on that? I disagree with it. He's a jerk. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I I mean, I think dwelling, I think anyone can probably relate to that of just kind of being wronged in some way and dwelling on it to the point where it's unhealthy. Um... I mean, like, I had an ex-boyfriend once who, like, dumped me, and I dwelled on that for a long, long, long time, and I would have said, like, I was pretty embittered against him, but, like, now I'm over it, and it's fine, mm-hmm. but, like, it's the kind of thing that he he held on to it, and he talks about that, I think, in the first part, too, that he, like, again, he talked about the guy who wouldn't move aside when he was walking down the street. I mean, he, like, very much so... I think relied on spite in an unhealthy way. Yeah, in my like notes, it's almost as like a, a cautionary part to me, where it's like, don't hold grudges, like don't, don't just, <laughs> yeah. just don't dwell do on things the whole <laughs> time. But then it also goes into like that the philosophical area where it's like you know, like y- it's your freedom to feel that way, and but then it's mm-hmm. like, but I don't really want that freedom then I don't know (laughs) like yeah and I think it's also when you have those strong emotions they're very easily mistaken for feelings of power so I feel like he took his feelings of spite and just built them up so much that he felt that he was in control and that he I don't know that he held all the power over all these people even though Mm -hmm. they didn't give any thought towards him yeah yeah, have you ever thought about, like, how much time he spent thinking about other people that never thought about him? Yeah, I just, it, yeah. like, kills me, because I'm just, like, I just, I'm, like, you're so, Nobody I'm, like, cares. you're so pathetic, <laughs> like, no one cares, so why do you care, you know, like, no one's giving a second thought to it, so why, oh, why do you, and I guess that, like, Susie said, it's a lesson to not let things that people say to mm-hmm. you not to say mm-hmm. that, like, you shouldn't, like, have a little time to, like, collect yourself, pr- like, you know, get over it. Not to say that nothing people say to you ever affects you, but I think to the extent that it affected him, which is pathetic. I mean, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be that kind of person <laughs> who's, like, plotting, plotting <laughs> my revenge five, ten, 20 years down the line about this one person who was a jerk to me Mm -hmm. once you know it's just not Mm -hmm. it's stupid I don't know and kind of felt sorry for him because I felt like he was missing out on a lot of life that he could have been living and doing and experiencing like actually having a friend for once like he talked Mm -hmm. about wanting so Mm -hmm. much instead of just doing what he did which was dwelling on that every day I don't know yeah it consumed him Mm-hmm. But I think that was probably the point. Like, I think that was, you know, the author. Well, I hope that that was the author embellishing. I really hope that that's not 
in <laughs> fact, actually how people are. And if you are out there and that's how you are, I really highly recommend seeing a psychiatrist. They will do wonders. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying everyone can use therapy. I've, I've seen a psychologist once or twice when I had an anxiety in college. So I'm just saying, get yourself some help before you turn into that guy. <laughs> Did you say the comment on YouTube? <laughs> Yeah, I should have said that to that person. Uh. Get some help. <laughs> you guys want to do, like, ratings in that chat? Yeah. Um, so I think we've all kind of, or I, you've referenced the podcast that we listened to, and I think we all kind of used this, at least intermittently, and that's mm-hmm. that's solely what I used, was the podcast that we talked about la- or two months ago air war audiobooks that my friend nate does um and he does such Mm -hmm. a great job um so he recorded an audiobook of notes from underground and that's what i used to read the book so i'm not sure the exact edition or anything but it was good you should listen to it (laughs) i use the patio the patio cast (laughs) the audiobook podcast (laughs) and then i also read this book from the library that i got um, which is the Alma Classic Edition in 2014, newly Ooh, translated fancy. five years ago. Fancy, fancy. <laughs> uh, yeah, as I mentioned already, I used Project Gutenberg and also the audio air 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 the audio cast audio <laughs> that. Yeah, I use both of them, but I mainly use Project Gutenberg because I felt like I grasped it more when I just sat down and mm-hmm. did the whole thing. Yeah, that was a good tactic, so. I think, for this book. For sure. Annie, do you want to say? It was like not a book. Oh, oh I was going to say the ratings. I got to go back to work. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes. so I gave it four stars. Um, yes, it was difficult to get into, but it was very, very worth my while, um, and I had some very good um, things to say about man and about the meaning of life and all that fun stuff, and Russia, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, four stars. Yeah, I gave it four stars, too, because even though it was like hard for me to grasp, and it was hard, well... Hope they're okay. <laughs> it was hard for me to grasp, but it was hard for me to read. I like that it like pushed me, and I'm happy that I read it, and I would recommend to other people to read it. So, mm-hmm. on popular opinion, you guys are going to hate me. I gave it two stars, but that's just because it was super, super out of my comfort zone, and I think I actually got more mm-hmm. out of it by like talking with other people about it than I did just from like reading it. It was like a big struggle for me to read it, and I like didn't really enjoy reading it. Maybe that's because I didn't like the character a lot, and it was, like, really hard for me to, like, support anyone when I felt like I didn't like anyone. I don't know. But not saying that you shouldn't read it. I think it depends on your personality, and, like, I just feel like I wasn't ready for it. Does that make any sense? (laughs) I, like, wasn't mentally prepared for it, and then so I was (laughs) like, wait, what is happening? Um, But if you have, like, a 
I mean, we all yeah. struggled. It took yeah. us two months to get through this. So it's like short if I was book. gonna rate it off of like enjoyability, I probably would also give it a two. Yeah. But like I gave it a four because I like I think it like helped better. I would say that's fair. Reading yeah. this like core. It took some book work, for yeah. sure. I think yeah. I would say that's fair. And like I said, I think I didn't really enjoy reading it, but I enjoyed like talking about it because I think there's a lot of good things in like lessons and moral values that can come out of it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, would I read it again? Probably not. But that's just because <laughs> it was a struggle. But, I mean, that's what sometimes, like, book clubs are about, is, like, you're not going to love every single book you read, but, like, sometimes it's just the fact that you are enriched by the stuff you read in, to, in, in a mm-hmm. way. So, yeah. Exactly. I agree totally. Yeah. So, Shannon... You got to pick our next book. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so I don't know, like, a ton about this book, per se, in terms of the storyline, except that it's in outer space, and it's called Sirens of the Titan, (laughs) and it's by Kurt Vonnegut. I've never read a a novel by him, but he is one of my really good friend's favorite authors, so I decided to give it a go, and apparently this is one of the books that was on the America's top 100 most loved books list so I was like oh well a lot of people must like this one so I figured it would be fun yeah and where to read where did that list come from that was the the PBS thing the America what's the great American read that's what it was um so it was on that list and I kind of decided to try to read unless I had like a moral objection to a book I tried to I'm trying to like read or listen to most of the books on that list so and that was one of them so yeah it's about space and that's all I'm gonna tell you for now it's about space (laughs) it's sci-fi so it's gonna be very different from this book and a lot of the other books probably even different than Hitchhikers because Hitchhikers was kind of a comedy too and I feel like this Mm -hmm. is like probably not gonna be as much of a comedy we'll find out I hope you enjoyed our conversation on Notes from Underground by Dostoevsky. It was definitely a little different than anything we've done before. Don't forget to subscribe to the Reading Minds podcast and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We also have an email address, readingmindspodcast at gmail.com, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns about today's discussion. Talk to you next time after we've read our next book, The Sirens of Titan by Kurt Vonnegut. Bye, friends.